It's been a few weeks since we've been here. We took a little hiatus as I was finishing up college exams and everything, and it was a busy time of the year, but we are now officially back on another episode of In the Tank. I'm Aiden Pearson, joined by Matt Germain, as always. Matt, it's been about three weeks. It's been a busy three weeks. How you feeling? I'm feeling good, man. I'm glad you're doing all right. I was going to send some uh, somebody to check on you. And, you know, one of the guys from Raise the Roof and say, knock on the door and say, Aiden, are you all right? What's going on? Yeah, a little, little bit of college exams happening there, but we're back. We're ready to go. And let's jump right into it. The Rays still sitting right around where they were when we last talked to you guys. They've had their ups. They've had their downs. But what we can officially say since the last time we talked to you guys is the Rays own the state of New York. <laughs> yeah. The most recent series that we had, they played the Yankees. They lost two out of three, but still won that last game in really good form. And then swept a pretty good Mets team. Matt, talk to us a little bit about what you saw with that. Um, well, I think... It, it almost seemed to me like, because I didn't really follow the Mets very closely before this series, uh, but it seemed to me like they were shell-shocked about Jacob DeGrom not being available, about their roster in general, their lineup didn't really seem to be clicking. Although they had had success before that, I don't think they were tested as much as the Rays tested them. So uh, there's the artificial turf issues. There was Pete Alonso being so happy to being in Tampa that he was almost begging to be traded there. I don't know what was going on. So anyways... Hey, Hey, even though G-Man Choi has now come back and looked good in that game he played, I would not mind Pete Alonso sitting there at first base uh, or in a DH role. I, I, I don't think any Tampa fan would mind that right now. If there's a way to make that happen at some point, I think both sides would be on board with it for sure. Here's the thing. The Mets have so many guys who can play so many positions. They have versatility out the wazoo because say they do trade a Pete Alonso. You can move Dom Smith to first. You can put Jeff McNeil out in the outfield. You got plenty of middle infield talent in your organization. You might be able to get a middle infielder and a trade for Pete Alonso, like a, a just throwing names out there. Rays fans don't hate me of Adal Brujan, a Taylor Walls S kind of guy. Um, and Xavier Edwards, who you could put at second base to plug that hole. There are just so many options, and you know, but trading is a while away. But what yeah. did happen is the Yoshi Sutsugo experiment has now officially ended as he is headed over to the Dodgers. Matt, too soon, not soon enough. What are we thinking? I think it was right around the right time. They had to give they had to give him a shot because I, I truly believe they believed in him being able to be a presence at the plate. Um, it just really was not clicking for whatever reason. You could throw out a hundred different reasons out there. He was hitting the ball hard, but it was not landing where it was supposed to. And then he became very pressured and it seemed like the whiffs were piling on on top of that. And they had no way to, for him to fight through that. I have no idea what he's going to look like in LA. I have this, this kind of inclination that says something's going to break through and then he's going to make us look bad. But... I'll be happy for him at that point. He's in the National League. He can have some fun over there with the Dodgers. Uh, but I don't honestly see him being an above average player in the National League. The Dodgers also added Albert Pujols to that squad. With the amount of injuries they have and where they have the injuries, it makes sense, though, to bring in both Sutsugo and Pujols. But here's my other thing, too, as well. Yoshi came over at a really bad time. You had to deal with a shortened season because of the pandemic. So many different guys moving in and out. And I don't think the Rays organization was the right fit for him above all else. Just because of how many guys they had that they could play in these different positions that Sutsugo plays. And look, I'm hoping Sutsugo does well and, and 
has a good career, but I just don't see it. I also think he's on the older side of what you want, and I just don't know that he has it for the major league game. Right. Well, if, if you would have just plugged him in to a team that could have had a lot of playing time at third base, which is where I think he's best, honestly, even though he's not very mobile, I think his receiving at first base was nowhere near where it needs to be. It's not G-man worthy anyway. And uh, he got better over time the more time he got there. But a team that would have been able to use him, like I thought the Brewers would have been a team hands on him, for instance. Um, but yeah, it, it's over. Now the Rays get to move on. And honestly, with with Wyatt Matheson, who they just signed, they've got you know, five or six guys that they could plug, plug in at third base and, and the positions that Yoshi would have been available for. So they're, they're, no, you know, they're not going to miss them. You posted it on Twitter, and I think you and I had the same reaction when Matheson was signed. Mm-hmm. Is there a trade coming? What's, what's next on the docket for this Rays team? So there's two thoughts with that with, uh, on my end is Tristan Gray got hurt and it looked pretty nasty when he got hurt. And it might just be that position depth down in AAA that they need somebody that can maneuver around the infield and help out so that they don't have to call somebody up from AA early. But what got me thinking not that is Miles Masterboni is tearing the ball apart in AA, like really hot. And so if you needed that kind of player, you could have easily called him up and filled that role. So then I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe he's going to replace somebody like Kevin Podlo or Mike Brasso or somebody that has that versatility of first base, third base, left field-ish so that they can go out and get someone. And the first name that popped into my head once I did a deep dive on all the teams was Drew Rasmussen, who's a, a guy that the Rays had drafted in the past and couldn't get him signed. And he's he got drafted by Matt Arnold and the Brewers. Um, Matt Arnold used to be with the Rays way back when, and he's got a bunch of Rays players on there. So, you know, he knows the Rays system really well. And I wouldn't be surprised. The Rays have done this before with Pete Fairbanks, a two Tommy John surgery guy who they gave a top prospect for in order to bring him in with his high K rate for the back end of the bullpen. Drew Rasmussen fits that same mold. Two Tommy Johns, high K rate, throws heat, and they know how to deal with those kinds of players and when to bring him in, when to give him time off. I think that might be the target or somebody like him. Anyway. I like that. And, you know, this bullpen is now getting back to full strength as Fairbanks and Castillo came back. We heard good things about Chaz Rowe. We've heard good things about, um, wow, I'm forgetting his name, uh, Oliver Drake. We heard good things about as well as we're starting to hear Nick Anderson is starting to throw again. So there are a lot of these names of guys who are going to be coming back soon. Now, here's my question to you, Matt. The rotation has been stellar. I mean, you want to talk about exceeding expectations Tyler Glass now throwing he's averaging about seven six and two-thirds to seven and a third innings per start which is great in saving this bullpen you've got Josh Fleming who has been on another planet who I talked about is going to be the breakout guy for this team Yarbrough has looked good when he's come in after an opener when he started on his own it hasn't looked as good Rich Hill I mean after that first start has just been Something insane. Shane McClanahan has looked good before the fifth inning. I I mean, there are so many guys, and Colin McHugh has looked good now. Uh, Michael Walker has looked good. Chris Archer, we heard, was dealing with some family issues as well as his injury. He should be back, they're saying, around the All-Star break. So there are a lot of good guys that are coming in here. And, Matt, even though the bats outside of the series against New York were quiet, the pitching staff has been holding their own. Pitching staff is is – 
clicking on all cylinders and then some. They've got a V12 engine basically running. And, and it, it's impressive to see because everybody else is hurting. You heard Joe Madden say when he acquired Hunter Strickland from the Rays, like they've got all the pitching over there. Well, do they or do they just develop it? Because, I mean, they went and got a solar panel salesman, brought him in and got him clicking. <laughs> So it's not like they're just, you know, sitting on a bunch of guys. They just happen to develop them and use them in the right ways. So it's really intriguing to watch because, like you said, now you've got Oliver Dree, Chris Archer, all those guys coming back in. And that's why they had to trade Strickland because they, they really were in a place where they've got so many guys in AAA that need playing time. They had guys coming back from injury. Now they're squeezed. And Michael Walker is going to come back too. So they still have to create, even after the Strickland trade, they still have to create three more roster spots some way, somehow. So it's going to be interesting to see. And that's why I think the trade makes sense because it, it kind of brings in what you need while dealing a bit of the excess that you have. So, so I think we're going to see one or two trades coming up. On the live podcast show I do, uh, We the 98ers, we talked about on Sunday, has Kevin Kiermeyer played his last game in a raise uniform? with how well this outfield seems to be playing right now. Plus, you got someone like Bruhan, who's absolutely destroying the ball in AAA, which we'll get to all the minor league affiliates here in a few minutes. Is Kiermaier expendable at this point? I don't think he's played his last game because they'll have to prove he's healthy. But I get what you're going with this, and I do agree it could be as little as a week when he comes back. And, and there's a lot of things that go into play here. There's a salary, there's a free agency coming up. There's, um, like you said, be, uh, giving guys the opportunity to get on the field more often in key spots. But above all else, it's Brett Phillips. Brett Phillips has stood up and shown that even with the light bat, he can be a presence at the plate, put up solid at bats every time. He's got more range than Kevin Kiermeyer now. I don't care what anybody says. His, his foot speed at this point at his age is a little tick ahead of Kevin Kiermaier. So you put all those ingredients together and you're like, eh, if they can find a taker. And there's so many teams looking for center fielders. Let's, let's, also not talk, let's also not forget to mention this. Brett Phillips is a local kid and you know you love the local story if you're the Tampa Bay Rays. He's also, if you watch him play, you watch him compared to Kiermaier. He's got a better first step. And that's one thing Kiermaier always struggled with. He never had a great first step. He seemed to misjudge the ball off the bat. Brett Phillips seems to be always taking the right first step when the ball is hit off the bat. And I love that for him. But also, I wanted to talk about this sort of on a big major league uh, sort of schedule or whatever you want to call it. The injuries this year have just been up. Is that because of the shortened season? Also, We've seen four no hitters to this point. The ball is, I don't know what's going on with Major League Baseball right now. I can tell you this. What, what, one thing, because I did take a look back about a week ago, because they were talking about that a lot on MLB Network. And I was like, well, you know what? I'll take a look. The, the opener has really impacted the groove that hitters can get into. Because normally when you use the pace of rotation, you had one ace, you had a number two, maybe, sometimes not, and then you had a number three. But generally speaking, you got to see a number four, number five hitters, which kind of boosted the stats up a little bit. But now what teams are doing, they're imitating what the Rays have done, and they're doing it fairly well, a lot better than they did in 2020. And I think that's putting pressure on the bats, which are getting frustrated. So they're, getting, they're squeezing the bats a little bit tighter. But now what I've seen the last, I'd say, four to seven days 
is, is a return to the old school game a little bit. And the Rays are part of that, where they've been happy to drive the ball, like, which is not something most major league teams do now, sadly enough. The Royals do it. San Francisco does it. There's a couple of teams that are really good at it. But you've got to make contact regularly all over the field. Stop being able to shift on, and then you'll have success today. But I do think the opener is a big part of why all the stats are down across the board. I was looking at some stats the other day. The Rays are in the bottom ten, in the bottom 10 of the league in shifting defenses this year, which is a complete 180 from what the Rays normally are. And, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Is that just because they feel like their defense can work behind their pitchers, or, or why are they shifting less than they have in any other year? I think they've looked at the results and, and, and kind of decided that it wasn't worthwhile for the infield. What you have seen a lot more with the Rays is shifting in the outfield for the power guys because you're, the time that you have to react to a power hitter hitting the ball to the outfield is a lot shorter. Whereas if you have wide-range guys in the infield, you can just positionally, alt, like I want to say shift, but move guys a little bit, you know, uh, how would you call it? Like um, they're putting the emphasis, you know, maybe if you have a left-handed hitter, everybody's a little bit more to the right, et cetera, like back and forth, right? Without having to do an official shift that would be statistically that way. So I think that's where they've been leaning on on the infield, whereas in the outfield, they're doing more of a a four-man shift almost. So Matt, let's go ahead and jump into both what you and I love in the minor leagues. Let's start at the top with Durham. Vidal Brujan is carrying that team right now. I mean, what a player he has been this year. I mean, he's just on another level. Let's go ahead and take a look at his stats. 12 games, hitting 319, five homers, 12 RBIs, nine walks, struck out nine times, stole uh, stole three bases, but he's got a 1088 OPS. Matt, what have you seen from uh, what have you seen from good old uh, Vidal Brujan? Watched every game, and I can tell you that. What has impressed me the most is no matter where you put him, he is a plus defender, and it doesn't impact his bat at all. He can go to center field. He has wide range. His his um, his uh, recognition of where the ball is hit is it looks clean when you're watching it on TV. Um, third base has been really good. I could honestly see him being a Jose Ramirez type at third base. So the options that he's opened up this year, just because of how he's played defensively, is, is impressive. And, and so when you talk about him and Taylor Walls is the other guy that's really been impressive down in AAA, especially defensively. Some of the five-star plays that he's made at third base are just ridiculous. So between those two, it's opened up a lot of eyes, and the three-headed monster that they've had at the top of the lineup now is just tearing apart the other teams. And really productive. They all have OPSs of over 1,000. So it's fun to watch. Matt, race fans would be mad at us if we didn't talk about the number one prospect in baseball being Wander Franco. So far this season, 11 games. He's hitting 348 with a 404 on base percentage, 652 slugging, a 1056 OPS. He's got three homers, 10 RBIs, a triple, three doubles, walked four times, strike out five. Stole a base as well. Matt, Wander Franco to me, here's the thing with him. I think you tweeted this out, or I can't remember who tweeted this out. They played six against Memphis to open the season. 
Started that series really, really hot. His last 14 at-bats went two for 14. Is Wander Franco, and I hear every Rays fan saying, hey, Wander Franco should come up to the bigs now. First of all, Rays fans, sit here and realize Wander Franco is not coming up within the next month. He still needs more seasoning in AAA. But is Wander Franco even ready? Absolutely, he is ready. He's Here's the thing. You have to look at the at, at the complete package, okay? He's he's hitting 50% fly balls. He's his swing uh, swinging strike percentage is one of the top 8 in the league even though he's only 20 years old. So and that's improved significantly as the season has gone on. And that's one stat that I look at a lot in terms of which direction it's going. Um, he started off really putting a lot of pressure on himself it felt like and now he's driving the ball and it doesn't matter that what, what you've heard over the last week is the sound off his bat is back to where it used to be. And he's getting in his groove. He's got his timing down. And so now it doesn't really matter where the pitcher is putting the ball. He's able to, uh, to barrel it. And that's a, a key aspect for him to, and how he's feeling at the plate. If he's barreling balls, he's feeling comfortable. He's going to do whatever he can. So, offensively, I'm not worried about him at all because I know even if he comes up to Major League Baseball, he'll get his singles, he'll get his doubles, he'll make contact. What I was worried about is the defensive aspect of the game. And his throws to first base, spot on. His range, spot on. His base running has been spectacular. I was really impressed. The last two games, he he took off when the guy uh, – so I think it was Taylor Walls who struck out. Catcher throws the ball to first base, Right. Most guys sitting on second base wouldn't even think to run the third. Never mind Wander running while the guy is actually still picking up the ball. He just took off. He said, you know what? They're not going to come to third base anyway. So he takes off the third base. The first baseman realizes that he took off the third base. He throws across the field. The third baseman misses the ball and he runs home. So he created in that one um, at bat that he had, he ended up going to first on a single, going to second on a drop ball from the catcher. And then going to third because the guy dropped another ball on a strikeout and then running home because it was an error on the play created that whole run on his own. When you put that with his defensive play and the bat, I don't think there's a weakness in his game whatsoever. What I'm worried about is, is, is basically what moving Willie Adamas would do to the race spiritually. And if Willie Adamas is still there and Wander Franco is playing shortstop, there's going to be some sort of massaging that would need to take place. I don't think Willie would, I mean, he's had to sit for Joey Wendell. He's had to sit for when Mike Brasso's in there. So it's not a completely foreign, but it's a little bit different when it's a rookie and it's Wander Franco. So that's the aspect to me that I still haven't figured out is how that move happens. So I think you're right. He's still going to get another month down there. I said somewhere between June 15th to July 7th was my timeline of when he'll be up. And I still think that's, that's fairly accurate. I still think that's fairly accurate. And here's my thing. I don't know that Willie Adamas is on this team come the trade deadline. I just don't see a way right now that he is still on this team. You could package him with a guy like Kiermaier. You can make it two separate deals because there's always a team that needs a shortstop. Uh, as much as I hate to say that, uh, just like there's a team that needs an outfielder, there's a team that needs a middle infielder. So I just don't know what Adamas's role on this team is past the time Wander Franco comes up. Yes, he's a great clubhouse guy, but I think Franco brings a similar level to that. 
I just I don't see how you keep Adamas and Franco in the same lineup on the same roster. It would have to come at the expense of a second baseman or a third baseman. And it would also come at the expense. So here's the way it could work out, theoretically. Okay. So they trade uh, somebody like Joey Wendell and Taylor Walls plays third base. Wander Franco plays second. Willie Adamas stays at shortstop. That is an example of how it could work out because Brandon Lau's looked good enough in left field. And he's Brandon Lau is a platoon player now. I don't care what anybody says, he is not an everyday player. He cannot hit left-handed pitching to save his life. So if you have him in left field now instead of second base, even though you can use him at second base if you need to, then you've opened up second base for either Wander Franco or Taylor Walls, which have both looked good there. So that's what I see happening. So then the question becomes third base is what you're doing with that position. So that's how Willie Domus could theoretically stay on the team. He's still one of the best defensive shortstops in the game. The problem is always going to be contact. And if you need a contact shortstop, you can always move Walls or uh, Franco in there when you need to. You can't take Joey Wendell out of the lineup right now. I'm sorry. I just don't see a way you can take Joey Wendell out of the lineup. He has been the only consistent hitter on this team right now, Matt. And correct me if I'm wrong, but in a clutch situation, there are two guys I want to call on right now. If I need a base hit, Brett Phillips, Joey Wendell. Get your ass in the batter's box. I mean, because the two of them come up with the clutch hits, but but also Wendell plays such a good defense no matter where he is. Wendell uh, is for sure. Wendell is a better defensive Ben Zobris with less power. Ben Zobris is exactly how I would describe Vidal Bruhan. And I said it before on Twitter. I said Vidal Bruhan is like Ben Zobris who can play center field and has plus plus speed. So with more power, possibly that's it. That's a, a high, you know, praise for, for a guy who's that young. I mean, it's electric, man. The, the Rays are in for a treat. The Rays fans are going to be in for a treat. Let's move over to the pitching side. Cause we do have to talk about all aspects of both teams so far. So good over there in Durham, Trevor Richards and Ryan Sheriff have sort of led the line when it comes to relief pitching. Um, I haven't been able to watch as many of the Durham games as I would like to. Talk to me a little bit what what you've seen from the starting pitching versus the relief pitching. So it's a little bit of a mixed bag with, with Durham, and that's what's held back basically their record. Their offense, you know, hasn't, you know, put up crazy amounts of runs other than the first series. So they've had to depend on a lot of uh, shorter outings from their guys. So the one guy I would point to as being stellar from the beginning to the end is Drew Strotman. To me, he's, he's the guy who you would, you would say has exceeded expectations down in AAA. Joe Ryan has, has had good starts and bad starts. Um, and he's leaning so much on that fastball that I think sometimes when he's not locating it uh, accordingly that he, he gets touched up a little bit. So uh, they're probably going to work on adding something at some point or just completely making him a reliever at, at a certain point. But I, I think so far, Drew Strawman is the guy that I would point at and say, wow, that's just impressive what he's done so far this year. Everything is sharp. The command he's shown, even though he's been out of uh, baseball for you know, competitive baseball for a little while now, is, uh, is really impressive. Great take there. Let's move over to Montgomery. Who's who's uh, surprised you there in Montgomery? By far, Miles Mastroboni. And, he, and it shouldn't surprise me, really. I, I say that, but, I mean, 
um, him and Seaver Whalen have been pretty much the, the majority of the offense. Now, Dylan Paulson was, was not there for the first week or so. And so that's hurt their offensive output. Uh, Xavier Edwards is also missing from that lineup. Uh, but they've had a little bit of an issue getting the, the lineup going overall. So that, that's the guy I would point to uh, at the plate. And then on the, on the mound, Shane Baz has actually looked really solid. It's not, you know, completely clean, but he went head-to-head with Hunter Green, and he looked really good in that start. Um, it looked like they could have stretched him out a little bit more, but they decided to pull him out early. Um, I think I'm really encouraged with what he's done so far. Uh, and so it wouldn't surprise me if they call somebody up in AAA um, that at some point, maybe around the All-Star break, he'll, he'll wind up in AAA. I've been reading this a lot online. Do you think that the Rays are hurting themselves by not stretching out some of these guys in the minor leagues? Absolutely not. This year, especially, it's one of those things where it's a little bit better to be on the safe side than, than pushing these guys. Now, if they do the same thing next year, I would say yes. But, but this year is one of those years where everybody's kind of getting back into the swing of things. And I think what you'll see is near the end of the season, especially the minor season, some guys will get stretched out a lot more and then they'll push the innings totals next year. All right, let's go ahead and move down to probably the team that has impressed me the most down there in Bowling Green, the Bowling Green Hot Rods, led by two friends of the show, Ruben Cardenas and Grant Witherspoon. Matt, talk a little bit about that Bowling Green team. Um, the Bowling Green team is one of those that, that when I first looked at the roster, I said that there's just no weakness. They're, they're all the guys there are fairly well polished. You probably have a lot of guys that should be a level higher, let's be honest. But in the system that they are in, they're they're kind of um, getting their feet warmed up in, in, dub, in high A. Um, Cardenas and Aranda, Jonathan Aranda and Grant Witherspoon. And as well, I, I throw in Blake Hunt in there. All four of those guys have really looked good. Uh, there's no weaknesses basically coming out of their game. Aranda's moved around in a lot of different positions. His contact abilities and even a little bit of pop that he's had has been impressive. Um, Witherspoon has the best power on that team. And you can see that the, the tweaks he's done at the plate are really impressive. Uh, when he does make contact, the ball just flies off the bat. And he's actually shown a lot of speed, too, on the bases. He hasn't been shy about running. Um, and Blake Hunt, I, I think, is getting into his groove. You can tell what I've been impressed with with him is how he's handling the staff and his blocking abilities, even though he's a bigger guy behind the plate. He's able to move around really freely. Um, and, and you can tell sometimes there's there's some interactions between him and the pitcher where he's just kind of – talking him through certain spots and um and and it's great to see because his leadership is going to be pay off basically at each level that i've seen so far the catchers have been really 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 solid so matt i want to talk to you about a guy in tanner dodson who is listed technically as a two-way player and i'm not sure exactly if the rays are going to keep going with that what's your opinion on dodson he's he's struggled to start the season at the plate yeah, his pitching has been really solid, though. Um, and I think he dealt with injuries, too, in 2019, so he didn't get the playing time he was supposed to. Um, and I think he'll get back into his groove. I still think he's more of a, uh, a fourth or fifth outfielder and reliever. He's not going to be – or opener for the race. Uh, but he's not going to be a, a length uh, guy unless – his stuff really breaks through on the pitching side right now is more of a two pitch guy. So I, I think that's what 
that's what we're seeing now is that he's more comfortable with the pitching and the hitting will come a little bit later, kind of like Brendan McKay uh, had issues with as well. Do you think Brendan, uh, I want to talk about Brendan McKay for a minute because I was talking with some other Rays fans about this and it was just sort of an interesting thought that some of us had. Is Brendan McKay done being a two-way player? Or are they going to still try and give him some more ABs? I think he's just getting warmed up, to be honest. Um, the pitching was was MLB ready, honestly, when he came out of college. He could have stepped in and been really dominant because because he's from the left side, because his stuff really plays. But the the bat, for whatever reason, ended up lagging behind, and and, and I think the the pitching he was seeing in college may not have been even double A worthy. So he's had to do a lot of catching up there. In the last two games that he's played uh, as DH in, in Durham, he looked really solid and he was making more consistent contact, fouling pitches off and being a little bit, looking a little bit more comfortable. I want to, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but uh, I, I think a good run here could really lift his confidence. And then you'll see the powers to sort of come through because he's a really much better bat than people give him credit for. Uh, it just hasn't, paid off yet in pro ball because he hasn't gotten the at-bats to do it. Here's the question that I've seen asked the most that I think I know what my personal answer to it is. Will he be the next Shohei Otani? If they stick with it another two years or three, yes. Uh, I think he has that potential. And because he's from the left side, if he's able to remain healthy, he could exceed what Shohei Otani is doing at the on the mound. At the plate, that's, that's a tall order. I, I don't know that there's a lot of guys who aren't two-way players who can put up the kind of power that, that Shoei Otani's shown, but, but he could still put up really solid stats when it comes to at the plate. Uh, I just don't know if, he, if he's going to be able to tap into as much power. We'll see. Let's go ahead and move down one more level, down to the Charleston River Dogs. Talk to me a little bit about this team because there are so many guys who could have been on this team that aren't. And I think the first name that comes to mind is one that you and I interviewed who we had on the podcast in Shane Sasaki. Yeah. Sasaki. Yeah. Sasaki. My bad. Is uh, uh, he's going to, he's going to be on the GCL team more likely, or once they start promoting guys, he'll, he'll come up. Maybe it was a health issue too, that we don't know about. They haven't shared with us. So, so there's that possibility. And then they also have, uh, and Nick Schnell and Alexandro Vallis and um, um, Diego Infante, a really solid trio in uh, Charleston that I, I've always been high on Diego Infante. So to me, it's not a surprise. And Novalis was the guy that I like most in the deal that, that they, they got for, for Nate Lowe in terms of his overall electric tools. Now, the best guy that they've had so far to play is uh, Harry Berto Hernandez. And I completely believe when uh, Baseball America does their, their updates of the top 100 midseason, that he could jump in the top 100. He is a legit bat. Every bat he's there, he's a threat. He, he can drive the ball to all fields. He's just, he's a real, he's a beast, basically. If you ask me, the second best power speed prospect after Wanda Franco, I would put Heriberto Hernandez as that guy. He's that electric. So, the other guys that I want to talk to on that team are so many interesting guys. There's uh, Luis Leon has looked really good. Johan Lopez has looked good. Curtis Mead has, has had some spectacular play. And the contact abilities of Alika Williams have been stellar. But the guy who I never really expected to amount much at the plate, Logan Driscoll, 
has really been a force offensively. And I didn't expect that. I got to admit, he's going to be a defensive first catcher. But so far, he's done really good. Let's talk about this pitching staff a little bit. I think, uh, you know, I've read that some people are a little underwhelmed by it. But the top guy on that pitching staff, according to many, has been the reliever Colby White. Colby White so far 1-0 in four games, two saves, seven innings, a 0 ERA, and a .43 whip. Opponents only hitting .087 against him. Yeah, he could move really fast. He's, he's probably – you could see him at the, in double-A fairly quickly. Um, but the, the pitching staff, I mean, Angel Felipe looked really strong the first two times I watched him. I missed his last couple. But uh, he's a guy that I could see move quickly as well um, in the pen. On the mound, I, I, I've two of the guys that I'm most impressed with in the entire system so far are John Doxakis and um, uh, Cole Wilcox. Two of the guys that I think are, are probably a level below where they should be, uh, and they're, they're taking advantage of it. I think John Doxakis... Uh, is one of those guys who's a big uh, guy that can actually pound the strike zone from the left side. So, I mean, you're, you're going to see him in, in Bowling Green fairly quickly, I think. Uh, Cole Wilcox looks like a steal from the Padres. Uh, I, I have visions. When I watch Cole Wilcox pitch, I have visions of Roger Clemens. So, and that, that's, that's saying a lot for, for the guy that's the second pitching piece after Luis Patino in that deal. <laughs> so, so, but, I mean, he just looks really strong, kind of like this well-weighted, balanced presence and, and a heavy, heavy, heavy fastball. Um, so I, I really like what I've seen from Cole so far. So that's sort of all the minor league things we have available right now is the GCL hasn't gotten underway. Matt, in this next week or so before we record our next episode, what are you expecting from both the minor league clubs and the big club? I think you're going to see, like, there's been, uh, like we spoke about before, a lot of return to health from a lot of the guys. So I'm hoping we see more influx. Like, I'm still waiting to see Tyler Frank, Xavier Edwards. Uh, on the major league side, I think we're going to see one or two more moves of guys getting healthy. So it's going to be interesting. I'm expecting, honestly, in the next week, one more trade from the top and t- uh, from the race. And I, I think they're going to win three or four from the Orioles. And, and maybe win as many as five games this week overall uh, because they're just in the groove. They got G-Man back, the Mojo's back, the DS at first base is back. They're getting opportune hits. Everything is starting to click. So uh, I feel good about this week. Really good. Who do you think has the best week offensively for this race club? This week? Uh, I like what I've seen from Manuel Margot in that, in that New York Mets series. He's really making solid, strong contact. There's a chance it could be him. And if not, Austin Meadows has been really, really settling in the last little while. So I'd go with him. Austin Meadows had a really good first series against Miami. Mm-hmm. Struggled after that. Still gave you a few homers there. I think the one guy that we talk about is when Francisco Mejia went down, I was one of the guys who was like, well, crap. There goes our offense from our catcher slot. And Mike Zanino in these past week has been a godsend. I mean, he is finally looking like that Mike Zanino we traded for when we brought him in from Seattle. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this could just be the start of an absolute tear we see from Zanino. Yeah, I think as long as they keep him healthy, they give him those days off. He is, he's locked in at the plate, and it's so nice to see. 
even when when he's missing, he's missing by not very much. And he seems satisfied with his at bats. So the stronger he is offensively, I think the more settled he'll be defensively because he's not putting too much pressure on himself to perform that way. So I, yeah, I'm with you. He's been a star so far this season. I think a lot of the credit needs to go to him for where the Rays are right now. I also think on the same way, the pitching staff has got to be happy with how Zanino's catching the game. Mm-hmm. Definitely. There's no, there's no big week holes. And like we spoke to Colin Pache, he said, uh, you know, it doesn't matter if he didn't get any hits. <laughs> He'd be a star on that team. So um, I think it's fun to watch both him and Mejia have success at the plate because the Rays have wanted that from the catching spot for a long time. You mentioned you think there's going to be another deal. Where do you think that deal comes from? Who do you think goes? I, I said it before. I think it's going to be somebody like K. Drew Rasmussen, and I think it's going to be at the cost of the third base option, uh, possibly shortstop option, but I, I, I still weigh more towards the third base side. I think there are teams that need third basemen. The Rays have five MLB caliber for, uh, third basemen that they can offer. Um, you don't go and pay cash for a guy like White Matheson without – having something else in mind thereafter. So which third baseman do you think is going to be most likely from this race club? I think Kevin Podlo probably has the most value because he can play many positions. He's a good defender. He has the power that a lot of teams are missing. And if you pair him with a guy like Travis Shaw, who's a left-handed bat with the Brewers, he's perfect for that role. And he can move to first base when he did him there. Dan Vogelbach is not stellar first baseman for the Brewers. <laughs> so, so I mean, you could see him being a real value piece. And like him, Drew Rasmussen is kind of a fair, you know, even-ish kind of trade. They can balance it out with other pieces if they need to. But uh, that's what I'm envisioning is probably him on the way out. So you think you, you think he's done? You think we've seen the last of Kevin Padlow in a Rays uniform? No, no, I'm not predicting that much. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying that if there's one, they could easily go for Mike Brossel too if they want a guy they can shift around more. And I could see that as well. So it depends. I know Rays fans had a whole uproar when uh, when our good friend, uh, you know, uh, Blake Snell got traded. Imagine if hero, hero, Mike Brasso got traded. There are no hearts when it comes to wins, man. No hearts. So if it benefits the Rays long term and if they can picture it this way, okay, you're going into a, a World Series and you've got Diego Castillo, Pete Fairbanks, and Drew Rasmussen, who can all bring the heat and be back-end high-leverage relievers. High-leverage relievers don't come around very often, guys that you can trust. And, and so it, that has an innate value for a team like the Rays, which are going to demand their guys to come in a lot in the fifth, sixth, seventh inning. So unless you want to burn guys out, and I, I still think – Jeffrey Springs is not a high leverage reliever. I'm sorry. When he misses and he's vulnerable to the left-handed bats, that is not exactly high leverage guy. He's almost there, but he has to figure out the left-handed bat issue because he's leaving stuff over the plate that's getting tattooed by left-handers. And so that becomes a hole that he has to fix. All right, Matt, (laughs) I'm happy to be back. I'm happy to get this back under our belt. It's going to be a fun, exciting summer for this Rays team, and it's going to be a matter of – and I know you're you're in Canada there, British Columbia. Um, who would you rather see in, in – or let me put it this way. The A's have had stadium crisis as well since we last talked. Yeah. Oakland to Montreal, I'd much rather have than Tampa to Montreal. 
So I could talk on that quickly if you want. Please, please. So, so today, the Oakland A's group with uh, Cavill are, are meeting with Las Vegas group to get their kind of uh, situation and what they can offer. But if you talk to me about the, their lease is coming up in 2024, right? So if the move did happen and if they said to Oakland, ah, we're sorry, we don't, we can't play. It's either they go to Vegas and they play in a 10,000 seat stadium. I'm told they build them another stadium, which will probably take another year. Or they go to Montreal where there's already a stadium they can use in the meantime while the new stadium is getting built. Now, the other thing to remember that with that is that the sister city concept was a benefit to the Montreal group because it scratched the itch of Major League Baseball in terms of getting the city of St. Petersburg probably offering more money than they otherwise would for the stadium build. And it also allowed them to get vetted so that they can be approved by Major League Baseball as ownership group, which then can absorb a team like the A's. So in a lot of ways, it helped them. Now, the other piece in there is that the high A affiliate, well, we, they just revamped all the minor leagues. Where did they move their high A affiliate? The, the Oakland A's? All the, they didn't put it on the West Coast. They didn't put it in the South. They put it in Lansing. The Lansing Lugnuts are the high A affiliates. <laughs> so what does that tell you? That's like a, a, almost like a signal, like a bat sign that says, hey, we're going north. <laughs> so th there's a lot of signs that are pointing to a possibility of them going to Montreal. I think they're going to do their due diligence in Las Vegas and see how that situation's panned out. But I think that's more of a vetting for Major League Baseball to expand there eventually. Because Vegas with an ownership group there can afford to pay for a franchise fee. They have lots of money to kind of offer towards that. The Montreal group, I'm not sure they're as willing with the Canadian dollar being what it is and yada, yada, yada. So I think it makes more sense for them to get the A's and then to expand after that. And then they can have the expansion with two teams in the West and balance the standings back up with the right number of teams on each side. No pun intended here, but if you were a betting man, mm -hmm. what team do you bet? sees Montreal first. You mean the which franchise goes there do first? Think, do you think it's either an expansion franchise, the Rays, or Oakland? I, I wrote on D-Rays Bay a long time ago that Montreal's position for relocation. So the A's to Montreal would be my bet. The, the Rays stay exactly where they are. They get a roof stadium in St. Petersburg. That would be my bet because that TV market is just too big. Ray's TV market is double the size of Oakland's. That's a lot of freaking money. Outside, <laughs> outside of Bally Sports, out, outside of Bally Sports and their app just being absolutely horrendous. Yeah, yeah. But, but that's what the Major League Baseball looks at. It's all down the money. So when you look at the money, the San Francisco Giants can take over the, the TV market in Oakland like that. And anytime that the Oakland A's don't have success and the Giants do, that's exactly what happens anyway. So why have two teams there when you can expand to the northern, you know, to Quebec where there's nobody that watches the Blue Jays in Quebec. I guarantee you that. And the ones that do, they're very, very minimal. They're still watching the Rays because they're hoping that they move north. So instead, give them a team and then expand. I think you're probably going to see Portland and Vegas get teams on the West Coast thereafter. I think that would be my expansion prediction as well. So Portland and Vegas? Yeah. Interesting. I, I'm not saying interesting in a bad way. I'm just saying interesting because I would never think – when it comes to mind, I don't think of Portland as a baseball. They have Nike, and they have the ownership group. They have – look at the uh, Portland Baseball Project online. You can find it. They have their whole website. They have all their ticks in the boxes. 
So I think that's why Portland comes up and it would be a natural rival for Seattle. There's a chance that you could see Nashville possibly do a city concept as well because they're not really as big as you would need for a Major League Baseball team, I don't think. Maybe they could support one all on their own. It could be Nashville and Vegas. That's another possibility. But there's also the possibility of either of those teams doing it with Vancouver as the sister city, and they go up there for the summer and then go back. Never know. I also remember the Orlando baseball project. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Three teams in Florida? <laughs> I, don't I don't think know. it's going to happen. Look, Matt, I think within the next three years, we see 32 teams in Major League Baseball. Yeah. It could I think be we see, 33 cities, too. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me be a betting man for a second. Oakland moves over to Montreal full-time, okay? Yeah. We add a team in Las Vegas that will be in the American League West. Mm-hmm. We add a team in Portland or something like that that'll be in the National League West as a natural rival for the Mariners. And then I think we also – I think we see that being it. I don't think we see anything else. I think we see two expansion franchises, and I think we have 32 out of 32. Yeah, I think that's right. Now, but I think division-wise, what I would like to see selfishly is three divisions of eight teams each. East and, and Southeast, whatever. Central and West. And I actually have a tweet out with the ones that I would put in each one. To me, that, that makes the most sense. It divides it in turn, geographically, but you still end up with all the rivalries intact. So you want New York with uh, Boston, and then you add in the Mets into that, right? You so still have Baltimore. Of, so you're saying get rid of the National League, American League entirely. Completely, completely, yeah. Which then would open up for Universal DH. Exactly. exactly. And, and I think you know, I think you and I can both think of these same teams in the in the same division. What would be interesting is, though, there are so many teams in that northeast area that would clump up that how do you do the two teams in Florida? It's the, it's the central, but you the, the Florida teams would be part of the uh, central south. Okay. Band, right? Which then would uh, just make me – so so let's let's talk about this for a second because I'd love to have this conversation because I think it's a fun conversation. Bring up the tweet. Yeah, I'll, I'll, let's bring I'll up the tweet. Yeah, hang on. Uh, Give me one second. Ladies and gentlemen, this is what happens on In the Tank. We we start talking about baseball and then our minds just ramble, especially when we haven't talked in three weeks. Yeah, you get the I mean, best it, of both worlds. It makes a lot of sense when you're thinking about the – the. Uh, so what I had was the Northeastern Division would be Montreal, Toronto, Boston, the Yankees, the Mets, the Orioles, the Nationals, and Detroit because Detroit's right across the water from – Okay. From Toronto. In the central, you'd have uh, Cincinnati, Cleveland, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, the two Pennsylvania teams, both Chicago teams, Milwaukee, and Minnesota. Okay. They're all in the vicinity. And then in the southern one, you would have uh, Miami, Tampa Bay, uh, Nashville, which I had in that instance uh, as being the expansion team, uh, Atlanta, Texas, Houston. St. Louis and Kansas City. Okay. Now, the one caveat with that is that St. Louis would be split up from the Cubs. A lot of people might have a heartache about that, but to me, or Tampa being sequestered from the Yankees or the Red Sox. I don't think that really matters. The rivalries are sort of arbitrary in that case. I think they could build up a rivalry with Miami and Atlanta just as easily. But oh yeah, you never know. Um, 
And then Western side would be the Giants, uh, the Mariners, the Rockies, the New Vegas team, or Portland, whichever one they go with, the Dodgers, the Angels, the Padres, and Arizona. I like it. Yeah. It's four, t- four times eight. And then, you know, geographically, they can they can try to split it up in two conferences as well so that you're still meeting the people, you know, the other eight teams in, in the same conference. Yeah, you but, do four and four. Yeah, exactly. But it's one of those things where I think it needs to happen because of the universal DH and also to try to minimize the travel time. And, and I also think that I like what they're doing in AAA and a lot of the minors where they have the six-day weeks without having any games on Monday. It gives you a media reset, a mental break. Everybody gets to absorb what happened, look forward to what's happening next. And I think we're moving towards six-man rotations, to be quite honest. So I think altogether, it would make a lot of sense to move to that and then minimize injuries as a result. MLB, Matt and I work for cheap. Just give us a call. We'll be happy to help you out, you know. You've got you got the older guy who can give you these ideas. I've got the way to grow the game of baseball when it comes to fan interaction. I'm telling you guys, we work cheap. Give us a call. We'd be happy to help you out. Yeah, we just need a Ghostbuster-style vehicle, and we're good to go. There you go. We've got it all together. Well, this has been another episode of In the Tank, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for sticking around and listening to all of our uh, babbling about Rays baseball and the MLB in general. For Matt Jermaine, I'm Aiden Pearson. Make sure to give us a follow on Twitter and check back in with us every so often as the new episodes will be coming out weekly. For now, this has been In the Tank. So long. We'll see you guys next week.